Welcome to 99.4 with uh, me, Neil Manthorpe, and um, back in South Africa, my colleague Lungani Zama. Zams, um, I'll tell you what, uh, I've been at all seven post-isolation test matches that South Africa have played at Lords, and there's one common theme. Uh, five of them have resulted in victories, um, and there's a kind of sense of frustration that South African players have ever since the first victory in 1994. Um, and it's understandable, of course, that uh, all the attention is focused on what England did wrong, uh, rather than um, how well South Africa played. And they were brilliant. I mean, you know, all of the attention, I have to say, has been on the four-man fast bowling attack for South Africa. And it is one of the most exciting that uh, that I can recall. Um, but, but, you know, I suppose it's understandable when you focus um, on the shortcomings of England. It was the third least number of balls that they've ever faced in a, a defeat in a home test match. They didn't bat 90 overs in two innings combined. Um, you know, and what, what's, what's been the reaction at home uh, to this this fast bowling lineup, given that uh, they're all un- under 30? Yeah, hi, Neil, and uh, hi to all the listeners out there. Um, firstly, I think very pleasantly surprising to to get to day three and you're planning your weekend without watching cricket. Um, we expected a lot from England, given the way that they played this summer with the much-hallowed uh, baseball. Um, but, you know, South African attack, you can't take any credit away from them. The way that they, they stuck to their guns and just fast and aggressive and, and, and resolute in line and length. So so pleasing to see. And I think um, very well led, obviously, by, by KG Rabada, who I saw him just before he left, actually, because he was rested for the opening part of the of the tour. And he said the one thing that he, he wants to do out of this tour is, is put his name up in the same place that Makai Antini did. And he was obviously very keen to to take 10, but, you know, others beat him to it in that second dig. But the fact that he got five and his celebration afterwards making the, the honours board sign to make sure that his name is up there very quickly um, just shows you how much it means to every South African to go to Lords and perform well. Um, and, and, and to start such an important series on such a good note. So, yeah, South Africans woke up to very, very good news on, on, on Saturday. And the other thing, um, Sam's, is that uh, the the victory almost perfectly or imperfectly coincided with the release of the new ICC Future Tools programme, which, um, yeah, just just took, took such a massive bite out of the celebrations. Um, and Dean Elgo was, I wouldn't say inconsolable, um, but it made, he made it very clear um, after the test match how disappointed he was that South Africa will be playing just 28 tests um, in the next four or five-year cycle. Um, it's a bare minimum. Um, and yet, you know, as disappointing as it is, and it goes beyond disappointing for, for very, very many people, um, the the truth is, and I, I wrote, I've written this several times now, um, what choice... What choice was there actually when 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 um, Poletsi Maseki is the chief executive of Cricket South Africa speaks to all the cricket people and they say right what you need to do is make sure we play lots of Test matches um, but we can't play any in January and February because we've got a new league um, and we can't play any during the IPL because we need to stay on good terms with the BCCI and and we can't <laughs> I mean what could the guy do other than I mean, we should be grateful that he's managed to fit in our commitments to the World Test Championship. It's it's such a hollow blow, like you say. I mean, the fact that it was such a good result and, 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 and then suddenly you get this 
this terrible news that basically says, you've, like you say, you've got the bare minimum of test matches to possibly play. I mean, Cricket South Africa has had its issues and, uh, for several, several seasons now, as we well know. And, um, you know, the, the administration, the likes of Poletsi, are trying their best in trying circumstances, but it just shows you how far that stock has, has fallen, you know, tumbled, actually. Um, the fact that this can happen and you feel sorriest for the players because test matches for so many still mean more than anything, uh, especially when you have such a special occasion like you did at Lords, where you play so well and, and, and you're looking forward to the next. And, that, and that's the news that you get as you finish the test match. Uh, it is a sign of the time zone. South Africa have to rebuild their stock. Um, you know, going to Australia, going to England is not something you can take for granted anymore. And it's terribly sad, but you, you, you've got to celebrate victories like that happened in this first test even more because you just don't know how many more of them you're going to have in your career. Elgar said um, at one point after the test match um, that he wants his players to push even harder and to raise their game and, and to even greater heights. And uh, he said, um, I want them all to play every test match as if it's their last. Uh, it's a familiar turn of phrase, but um, with a, a bitter twist of reality. Absolutely. It's, yeah, like you say, very, very bittersweet. Um, and, you know, Dean is one of those guys who, always tries to speak tongue in cheek. Um, you know, he, he approaches life much the way that he approaches opening the batting in South Africa. You know, you never know what's going to come next. Um, but it, he must be. I mean, he, he's leading a team that started to rebuild itself the way they did against India in the last South African summer, the way that they were expected to be turned over by England. You feel like you're starting to get some sort of momentum. And then the one thing that you cherish, the one thing that matches more to him than anything else at South African Test Cap you're told you're going to wear it less than any other test-playing player in world cricket. Um, you know, it, it's got to hurt a, a man like that who's, who's worked so hard, come from so far, and is now leading a side that looks like it can challenge any team home and away. It's an exciting time to be leading that team, and the fact that you, you're not going to play as often as, as you really should must, must really hurt. You know, um, it's interesting. There's an old phrase in test cricket. Um, well, I, th- I suppose it applies to all cricket. Um, and that is, if you can't score a lot of runs, just make sure you score enough. Um, and this, I have to say, going all the way back to, you know, um, 1992 and the first test series um, post-isolation, um, this is as exciting. I won't use the word good because I don't really know what it means. But this is as exciting a bowling attack as I can remember. Um you know, the last time there was a, a, a quick, hostile left armour, it was Brett Schultz, and uh, we've got to go back to 1993 uh, for the best of him. Um, it's a, it's a, and Keshav Maharaj as well, very, very underrated uh, part. But so um, there is a, an issue with, with the batting, isn't there? I mean, we compare this team to that of 2008 or 2012 with A.B. de Villiers, Graham Smith, Jacques Callis, Hashim Amla. I mean, that was a great batting lineup in anybody's language and any money in any era. Um, so this is not a, a great team. But um, having said that, we we would all be talking about the, the beginning of a new era um, with the, the way South Africa dismantled England at Lords. Um, and yet we're not because, you know, they, they, won't, they don't play it. They won't come back to England at least not to play England, for at least five years. They might well come back next year to play the final of the World Test Championship. Um, 
so I mean, it's it, yeah, like I said, it, it's bittersweet. Uh, so on the subject of the bowling attack, though, um, Zams, I want to speak to you about um, Lungisani and Gidi and his place in the four-man pace attack because the plans are put together on these tours, aren't they? Sort of weeks before they even arrive. Okay, this is this is what we're going to try and do. This is our whole whole big picture plan, and. There was talk before the, the well before the series began of um, Simon Harmer playing the second Test match at uh, Old Trafford because it does turn there. Um, uh, oh, uh, and by the way, um, it, again, all the talk was about big, bold, brave England um, and you know playing the exciting cricket. What about selection? Um, you know, South Africa are the team that played four fast bowlers and a spinner, um, and and not the the six specialist batsmen um anyway if uh, am i right in thinking that if harmer does play and i don't think he will <laughs> but but if if it's really dry and looks like turning would he come in for lungi and gidi yeah it's a it's a great problem to have uh for the selectors uh and reward i suppose for like you say their courage in in, in trusting their bowlers to take 20 wickets which they did and the batsmen, the specialist batsmen, and what they keep calling bits and pieces batsmen in the lower order to to make enough runs to win a match, and and, and that's exactly what they did. You you kind of give people greater accountability to to do their jobs. And at the end of the day, if if the batting gets bowled out for 150 and you lose the test, you can kind of point to them and said, not one of you made a substantial score. So it, it does eliminate a lot of confusion because. Batters must make enough runs and the bowlers will take 20 wickets, as happened. Um, but like you say, if, if they do go to Old Trafford and it is in this height of this greatest drought, a hell of a summer that Engl- England have been having, it's impossible to leave out the best performing fingerspinner in, in English cricket for the last decade almost. Then Lungisani Ngiti will, will probably be in, in danger because he is probably a bit similar to you know, he sort of straddles the land between Anish Nokia and KG Rabada in terms of big and fast. Maybe doesn't do as much of the ball as KG, not quite as fast as Anrich. So you probably would look to him, but he took important wickets. And he, 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 as they say, he bowls a heavy ball. Um, and, you know, there's, there is a place for that. And when, when you keep on having guys running at you at 85, 90 miles an hour, there's no relent. As KG rests, Lungi comes in. As he rests, Marco Janssen comes in, and it's relentless. Those are the things that hurry good batsmen to make bad decisions. So they'd have to think long and hard to leave out Lungi Sanigiti because I think the energy and 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 and, and just the the physicality that he brings to the crease is is is, is tough to ignore, especially when it works so well at Lords. Um, but obviously, Harmer, we know his record, we know what he's done for Essex, and we know what he's done in all conditions in England over the last four or five years. So he'd be chomping at the bit. I mean, we saw what he did in, in tandem with, with Keshav when South Africa played Bangladesh. Um, we never thought we'd see South Africa play two frontline spinners in a test match on South African soil. But as they say, the times are changing and uh, the selectives are changing too. So, you know, we'll see what they do this week, but it, they are good problems to have. Sticking with um, Ngidi just for a moment, he was speaking a couple of days before the Lord's Test match um, about his role in the team. Um, and he made it very clear that um, he, I think in consultation with the captain and the, and the coaching staff, um, had accepted that his role had been redefined 
And he used the word um, providing or the words providing control. So um, in other words, um, you, you really don't want to to shackle Rabada in any way. I mean, you don't want him to be saying, you know, hey, KG, you, we, we don't need you going at four and over. And just forget that. Um, even even less so for for Nokia, um, and he really. I mean, he was going he was going at five or six and over. Who cares? He was knocking, he was taking the wind out of England England batsmen sails and, and knocking them over. And frankly, if you take that many wickets that quickly, um, who cares how much they cost? Um, and and again, it's exactly the same with Marco Janssen. I mean, you don't want to be telling. Um, your six foot eight inch left arm seamer bowling at close to ninety miles an hour to to um, you know worry about bowling dot balls. So I don't know whether Ngidi took it upon himself or, or whether he was asked to take on that that role. But he did see, and it was odd because he you know he took the new ball. I mean, it, ordinarily he would you'd expect him to come on and provide control bowling first or second change, but he did seem to be bowling within himself. I don't he can bowl quicker. Um, and he and he bowled fewer overs than than the other three, um, and we both know you and I how much Dean Elgar loves to control, and that's what he often looks to Keshav Maharaj for. That's why he likes to have him in the team so much, particularly in the first innings. Um, and and um, so yeah, it's we're looking very much like an un, unchanged eleven, no matter what the pitch looks like. Yeah, and it's a wonderful selflessness from Lungi because, like you say, we we know him to be able to bowl just as fast and be just as hostile, and 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 be a, a wicket taking fast bowler. That's you know when he burst onto the scene against India all those years ago, that's what we knew him for. Um, so to to humble yourself in the circumstances and bowl maybe at eighty percent of the pace, but have so much more control and 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 keep up the relentless pressure on the England middle order is, you know, it's a feather in his cap, the fact that you can read the room and say, KG's on fire this chess match. Anrich Nokia has been waiting to, to be let loose uh, on these England batsmen who apparently can play fast bowling. And, and Marco Janssen is Marco Janssen. Um, and, and you say, well, we need somebody to, to calm the farm and, and, and keep the control that Dean so, you know, craves every test match, every session, because that's the pressure that then leads to wickets. Um, it shows his maturity as a cricketer, and I think his years in the IPL and working with with different style of bowlers and bowling coaches has, has really made him a truly international cricketer. And 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 if you can do that and and be satisfied with taking just a couple of still very good wickets, but be happy just to sort of do the the legwork and 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 do the engine room and and, and make sure that the control that Keshav exerts is not let loose when the ball is chucked to the seamers. It, it, it really complemented the rest of the attack. We, like you said, didn't pay any mind to what the econo- economy rate was and how many shots were being played at them because they knew that on the other end, it was an absolute drought. You know, they, they couldn't get away. He was metronomic. And when you have that and, and you have that trust, then as Anrik Nokia, you can literally throw caution to the wind and, and really ramp it up. And, and he did that. And so did Keiji. So, yeah, it would be very very hard for, for Lungi to accept being dropped for the next test when he himself has taken a, the responsibility of, 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 of controlling. And, and, and he did it so well, and it's worked so well for the team. So why would you change it? I want to wander off onto a, a wonderful diversion with you now and talk a little bit more just um, about, about Ngidi. Um, for those 
viewers and, and listeners who may not know his story um, particularly well, or if at all, um, other than than the fast bowler that they see on the on the cricket field. And you obviously know him very well. You come from the same part of South Africa. Um, I, I I think of him these days um, as a sort of act accidental activist. Um, you know, he was he became the sort of he never set out to become the spokesman for for the team in in on subjects of Black Lives Matter and, and taking a knee and and uh, solidarity in in the fight for equal opportunities and all of those things. Um, I mean, he was just he just happened to I think it was uh, it was his turn to do a press conference and somebody asked him a question about it and he answered um, honestly and said I think it's a conversation that we should have and and suddenly found himself. <laughs> as the you know the the leader um and was labeled an activist and and i mean he's not unhappy about that i assume um i mean he's he's perfectly happy to talk about it he's not you know apologetic about being um the 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 poster boy of 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 racial harmony in the team i mean um but it's not something he set out to do is it no far from it and like you say it was his turn and his turn just so happened to come on a day when there was a lot going on in the world and, and questions were being asked of sportsmen that are, are, are not usually asked. And as he does, he fronted up and, you know, said his piece. And that, you know, was the domino effect of that was the conversation that ultimately led to, to the hearings about South African cricket's, you know, historical imbalances. So he was the trigger inadvertently, but he never shied away from that responsibility. He never shied away from owning the fact that he is the cricketer that he is now because doors have been opened um, by people who've had to sacrifice and endure, you know, far more than he has. Not to say that he's not suffered in his life because he's had a very tough upbringing, um, you know, but his talent has taken him to places that he couldn't have dreamt of. Um, and, you know, he lost his father a few years ago, but his father, you know, did live to to see him rise, to become the man that he is, that so many people around the world now see as this man mountain of a gentle soul who bowls and wins IPL titles and takes, you know, important wickets for his country. Um, but he knows where he comes from and, and he knows what he represents and he knows just how many have come before him and never had the opportunities and, and, and the blind luck. I mean, he says it himself. It was blind luck that he happened to meet the right people who put him in the right schools and gave him the opportunities to become everything. You know, if he hadn't gone to a Hilton College, he might not have had the nutrition to, 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 to be able to carry this hulking figure that he is to the crease. And he might have broken down like Mfuneko Ngam did all those years ago because he just didn't have the same opportunities. So he's very aware. He's a student of the game. And, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a young boy of a modern South Africa that understands just how tough this place was just, just a couple of decades ago if you happen to be born in the wrong place, in the wrong color. Um, so he's aware, and it's not a, it's not a conversation that he shirks. And, and, and I think he's one of several in that room, Kakhiso um, Rabada being another, Andile Petluwayo being another, who, who don't shy, Temba Bavuma, as we saw in the T20 World Cup. They're aware of their responsibilities on and off the field, and the fact that they have to, to be these voices and these lights to to those who are still scared to have these conversations and, and confront situations that make, make you awkward or make you uncomfortable, um, make you not want to play cricket the next day, at, whether you're playing it under 11 Cs or you're playing an in international cricket because there's a conversation that's happening in the change room that makes you uncomfortable or you, or, you, or you feel like you can't express yourself in your own language. 
you know, these are things that a lot of cricketers in South Africa have, have gone through for for decades in silence. Um, and, 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 and by simply answering the questions that he was asked in that press conference, you know, it triggered a far deeper and far more urgent conversation for South African cricket to have. And I think I speak for many when I say that all of South African cricket is in a, is in a better place, in a healthier place, on the back of that conversation. So he can be proud, you know, whatever he goes on to achieve. He can be proud that he opened more doors, you know, for those who come after him to, to be even happier South African cricketers um, wherever they, they, they go, whether they're male, female, you know, wherever they come from. You, you can come from a, a tough home with, with no financial backing and rise to the, you know, to the highest offices. And, and, and that's credit to him. It's credit to his parents. It's credit to his school. It's credit to his teammates for giving him the courage to do that and, and not back off and say, no, I was taken out of context. Yes, I absolutely said that. Yes, I absolutely meant that. And yes, I've traveled a road that many of you just don't know. But if you want to know, I'm, I'm happy to talk because I haven't always been able to and I have not always been allowed to. And the fact that I've answered one question and it's triggered a dozen former cricketers who have no idea about my life to start casting judgments and telling me that I'm a privileged kid who went to Hilton. Most of them don't even know the story of how he got to Hilton. You know, it was, it, 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 it was blind luck. It was, it was his talent and a, a parent who, who could afford to fund him to say, if my son is going and you're such great friends and you're such a great sportsman, you deserve to go too because I know your parents can't. And I'm going to do more than that. I'm going to make sure that every single Saturday that I go up and watch you play, I'm going to take your father so he watches you. So you're not the spare child who's just playing and doesn't have a, a father a father figure or a parent figure watching him grow and watching him win matches at a junior level. You know, it's, it's a remarkable story of, of trans, transformation, of, of, of unity. It's an example of what South Africa can become or any place can become when those who have more give to those who have less and, and sort of equal the playing field, so to speak. And, you know, his story, he's, he's gone on to far bigger things than that, that childhood friend that they went to, to Hilton together. But I can assure you that both of them are richer for the fact that that friendship took them both to a place where they could go to a, to a school like Hilton and have the life experiences and they'll be friends for life. And, you know, credit to that family that, that looked at him and said, here's a kid who can fly the South African flag high because he's just got gifts that you, you can only be born with. And, and the fact that it's happened and he's got to, to where he is, you know, you can, only, you can only be proud of him. To have memories growing up as a young boy living in a one-roomed house, um, his father was a petrol pump attendant, initially before um, he got a job on the maintenance team, didn't he, at a, at a, a junior school, um, which um, resulted in him getting a place to that junior school. Um, but to come from um, humble backgrounds like that and then to emerge out of Hilton, which for those who don't know is um, one of the most expensive, <laughs> one of the wealthiest, if not the, the most, most expensive, expensive and the wealthy. The most prestigious school in It is the most, right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, you know, for, I, I can't, I mean, I've got quite a vivid imagination, but I'm afraid I can't imagine what that would feel like um, to, to come from a, 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 as humble a background like that and then to emerge from Hilton. Um, and he and he does, you know, I mean, he, he, he looks like he was, sounds even with his posh boy accent, um, like um, he, he was, you know, he looks and sounds privileged, which... Which I suppose um, he, he was he was lucky enough to, to get privilege. But if I if I do try to imagine that, I, I would want to tell people all the time 
where I came from and 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 what can be possible. I mean, he had a lot of luck, didn't he? And he talks also about, um, you know, people say, well, if it works that well, um, putting talented kids um, through scholarships to private schools, why not just um, carry on doing that? If it, you know, um, I think only one of the of the black black players in the last twenty years hasn't gone. Uh, to a, a private school. Um, but Ngidi speaks a lot about that not being the solution. He says, I was lucky. I don't want people to have to rely on luck. I want everybody to have the opportunity. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it, it can't be a sustainable system when you, you have to have, you know, these, these privileged schools um, taking people and changing their lives and changing their circumstances. And that's the only way you're going to produce first-class cricketers Never mind international cricketers, and he's absolutely right. And and part of the responsibility obviously falls on government institutions and administration of the game. But you know, it's it, it's a conversation that people have circled around for ages. That it it needs urgent attention. It can't be that only a, a handful of schools across South Africa have produced all the players that have gone on to play Test cricket for this country. It it it's 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 just wrong. It's just wrong and. Yes, it's difficult because there's the historical imbalances then play into the fact that there's no room for facilities in every single school. Um, but it's it, it's something that needs to change. You know, rugby for for a long time was similar, but it's changed. You know, it's changed all the time. You know, you you, you find remarkable stories of, of people that come from the most desolate corners of South Africa that have a path and they can look at it and see it. You know, Lukanyo Am is a similar story to to Lungingiti. Um, you know, Magazole Mapimpi has an even more harrowing story when you look at where he came from. So it, it is possible. And when you put structures in place that make sure that the net is cast far wider and less slips through those, those gaps, then, then you do start having, a, you know, a bigger pool. We, we spoke last time about just how many South Africans are around the world playing cricket, not just for South Africa, but for different countries making their way, whether it's a Devon Conway or playing for Ireland or playing for Scotland or playing wherever, they're there because the, the pool of talent in this country when it comes to cricket or sports in general is incredible. You know, it's an insatiable appetite that's bred from a strong school sports system that allows Ngidi, I mean, he was a rugby player. He wanted to be a rugby player more than a, a cricketer. And the, the physical burden just, just meant that, you know, he kept on breaking down. And then he realized as he was about to finish high school, that actually I can propel a ball from 22 yards and, and probably do a lot more damage with a piece of leather than I can trying to run and match these, you know, these massive Afrikaans and massive Kosa boys who come just blessed with rugby talent. <laughs> and thank goodness, you know, for the game, for all of us, that he, he went the right way. Um, we don't need another Siakulisi. We've already got one of those. Um, but it's, it's important, you know, it's important to open these doors and it's important to, to keep encouraging the next Lungisan Ngiti to come through and, and, and not feel ashamed of his circumstances and not feel lesser of a, of a person, never mind a cricketer, because he can't afford his own boots at a certain age because his parents just don't have the means. You've got to close that gap because when you close it, you open up so many more possibilities for South Africa to, to unearth world champions. Okay. Um, I was going to say we can talk about this um, for, for hours. Fortunately, we do have hours. We've got many, many <laughs> episodes to come on 99.4. So um, we'll um, 
yeah, it's a subject that we'll talk a lot more about um, in the in the days, weeks, months, and maybe years to come. So let's just go back to Old Trafford very quickly. Um, I'm not there yet. I'll be driving up tomorrow morning. Oh, by the way, um, do you know how much it costs on the train to get from London to Manchester, Sam's? I do. It's about ninety pounds if you don't book it in advance. Because I had to do it when I was there a couple of years ago to to go to the Liverpool. Champions League parade, and I lived in Manchester for three oh. years, so I know I know very well. I'm very envious of where you're going next. I tell you what, Sam, that was a few years ago. Prices have gone up, my friend. Two hundred pounds. Two hundred pounds. Ouch! You can you can you can fly to Spain and have an all expenses paid holiday um, for a week uh, for the same money that it takes to get to Manchester on the train. So fortunately, a friend's lent me his car. <laughs> Mind you, petrol's pretty expensive. Okay. So, um, Zach Crawley and Alex Lease opening the batting. So, um, and, and Ben Stokes and Brenda McCullum both said that, uh, they didn't expect consistency from Zach Crawley. I'm sure you must have seen those quotes. He's not that kind of player. He'll win matches for England, but we don't expect consistency from him. I shouldn't laugh. I I shouldn't laugh. Um, it's just I never heard that before um, about about any cricketer. I thought consistency was the holy grail for every cricketer. We've not got the the baseball manual, Manthorpe, so we can't speculate on, <laughs> on their thinking. Um, it's different. It's very different, and it's. You know, it's 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 on in line with uh, the way McCullum has approached things thus far. Um, but I suppose you know, different teams have different strokes and, and expect different things from their players. Your openers' consistency is the first hallmark, which is why South Africa have Dean Elgo and Cyril Avery now, because they find that there's a a steady income of runs from one, if not both of them, every other Test match. You need that stability. It's it's the cornerstone of building a test innings. But South Africans don't play baseball. They they just play regular red ball fair. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I'll ask you for a prediction and I'll prepare to wear egg on my face as well and I'll also go with one. Um, I think that South Africa are perfectly capable of being bowled out for 165 uh, or 149. Um, I really, and I actually think it'll happen, and I don't think it'll affect the result either because I think their their bowling is is so much more incisive, um, and and hostile and and wicket taking than than England's. Um, so, um, yeah, I see I see another couple of quick Test matches. Maybe not so much at the Oval because uh, that's pretty flat there, and I think somebody will get in, and maybe a couple of guys will get in and make hundreds. I see a very short Test coming up at Old Trafford. Um, but I'll tell you what, Sams, um, I, I wouldn't have thought this just a couple of months ago, um, not not watching England uh, chase down 374 against India at Edgebaston. But, OK, I, I'm, gonna, I'm doing it. I'm, I'm, go, I'm, I'm going 3-0. Wow. There's a thing called commentator's curse. Um, but, I mean, you know, you've got a long drive <laughs> to Manchester to think about the words that you've just uttered. I think England will respond. Um, whether or not that response is, is enough to, to win is, is, is hard to say because that South African attack does look really, really good. And I think Anrik Nokian and, and KG especially, they, they live for test matches like this and, and the ability to, to change a game in a session like they do you know, is what makes them special. And, and, and they would have seen 
a brittle side to the England exterior that they showed early in the summer, and, and they probably can't wait to get back at that. Um, but England do have the better middle order probably on paper, and I don't see Joe Root failing four times in a row. I just don't see it. Um, without the shackles of captaincy, um, I think he'll want to respond. Um, so I, I definitely wouldn't want to say South Africa are going to lose the test match, but I think it's going to be a lot closer. I don't see it happening quickly. I think they'll go back. Joe Root will resort back to type and play proper five-day solid grinded-out cricket, make a slow hundred if need be, um, and, and, and see if they can wear this attack down. Because at the moment, they're trying to fight fire with fire. And, and South Africa just had too much firepower. And if you play that many strokes, you're going to flash out and you're going to get out and, and you look a bit silly. And that's what happened to England. And I think they'll have some private conversations that say, look, it was exciting early in the summer, but let's, let's go back to a few basics of how to approach a test match and, and see where we are at the halfway point and then maybe do a bit more baseball. You can't just be that gung-ho against such a good attack. Okay, I just want to say that my um, prediction was honestly, truly um, dispassionate and unemotional. It's not based on anything other than um, a look at, at the personnel on paper and um, put it this way, um, if if somebody said England will win the series 2-1, I can see how that c- can happen. Um, I mean, and I wouldn't be entirely surprised. Um, but uh, it, so really, it, it purely is dispassionate. I don't think that Alex Lees and Zach Crawley are going to give them a solid start. Um, I think there's a very strong chance that England are going to be 20 for two. Um, and, um, you know, it's a tough position to recover from. So um, I, 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 th- I think South Africa will win the series 3-0, but... Um, uh, it's let's call it a hunch. I, I'm sound like I'm backpedaling. No, no, I'm not. I'm not. Don't, okay, don't, three now. don't backpedal. Man. All right, Sam's. We will chat again after <laughs> South Africa go 2 0 up. Uh, I look forward to it immensely. Drive safe and um, get a cheese. I will pass on your best to Manchester. Please do. I'll, I'll do that and give me the give me give me one venue, uh, where I can go and and um and salute you and, and have a drink and raise a glass to, to you, you for all time's sake to Manchester. Man, as there's, there's several venues where I've left my name gloriously somewhere and gloriously in most others. Um, Deansgate Locks. <laughs> Anywhere on the locks, um, okay. I've had right. a famous evening. So, yeah, please go and have one for me. Don't mention my <laughs> name probably, but just go and have one for me anyway. <laughs> I will do. Okay, chat soon. Cheers, manners. Drive safe. Running should be simple. Just put on your shoes and go. And yet, when you try to learn about how to get better at it, especially as you age, you're confronted with conflicting advice, complicated workouts, and confusing nutrition trends that just won't work for you. On The Planted Runner, I'll share exactly how to run faster, longer, and feel great doing it at any age because you don't have time to waste. I'm Coach Claire Bartholik, and I went from not running at all in my late 30s to finishing a marathon in 2.58 at age 42, all on a plant-based diet. I've helped hundreds of runners achieve new personal records well into their 60s and even 70s with science-backed training, plant-based nutrition, and proven mental strength techniques. Each episode of The Planted Runner is like a private coaching session on the run where you'll learn from me and the guests I interview. You'll get actionable lessons to help you become a better runner every week and reach goals that you never thought possible. 
Whether you're training for your first 5K or your 50th marathon, take along the planted runner on your next run. Let me show you how your best running is still ahead of you. 